This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Good evening and welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show, a show all about health and wealth, which is actually your health. It is my aim to provide you with evidence-based information to help you live the best life possible. This is not a replacement for a real doctor because I'm not a doctor. I'm a registered nurse. So if you have health concerns, please go and see a real doctor. Lucky for you, though, I have a real doctor coming on the show tonight. Dr. John Weisler, cardiologist, returns to the program. Program tonight, and he is going to help me uncover what lies beneath the covers, which we always do on the Sunday Night Health Show. Because guess what? What li- down there is also tied to your health. So that is your warning to put the kitties to bed, unless of course your child is about thirty-five and just getting ready to launch. They can stay up and listen by all means. Kidding aside, listener discretion is advised. As I said, we're going to go beneath the covers tonight. But first and foremost. This show is about love, love as it relates to your relationship. And it's also the relationships that we have with each other. You may not always agree with me, and I'm happy to hear from you on that. So feel free to give me a call. The number to call is 604 no, it isn't. The number to call is one 399 That's one 399 Fortunately, I have Andrew here tonight who gives me a little head shake, say yes or no. Maureen, you're right, you're wrong. Uh, yeah, that wasn't the right number. That was a... No, it was the wrong number, but now we've given the right number. Yeah, Andrew, how are you tonight? We've had a very tough week this week with it, all that's gone on in the U.S. It has been a tough week. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, you know, like this isn't a show about politics, but I was appalled to hear the National Guard being mobilized to the southern border with Mexico. Oh. Like, why? <laughs> Honestly, I you know this is not a show about politics, but it does enter in, I have to say, at times. And myself being American... With so much going on in in Kentucky, the uh, two people that were killed at a convenience store, and then not to mention Squirrel Hill, which really broke my Mm -hmm. heart. And I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about why that is so heartbreaking for me. But um, yeah, so it's been a hard week. Yeah, and you know what? I don't like to start off the Sunday Night Health Show this way. I like to start off about love and health and happy things and and senses of humor and you know generally a a a better way to start the show yeah a a lighter way you know if you can laugh a little bit at yourself and uh which is one of my favorite things to do (laughs) but if the world demands that you talk about something you can't just glaze it over no you can't you can't and you know what we have our feelings are raw about this. It's very tough. We have lots of uh, subjects we are covering tonight on the show. We're going to talk about work spouses and telemedicine with Dr. John Weisler. Uh, we're going to talk about um, who has the best marriages. This might surprise you, might not. Also going to talk about just how much time men spend on the toilet because, you know, who Too knew? Too long. Who knew it was the new quiet time? A very long time. <laughs> Do you know Why? Uh, I have my phone. I'll fill. <laughs> That's exactly why. Like I'm not like if I'll I'm in the middle of an article, in. I'm not going to stand up just because I'm done. I'm going to keep sitting here and reading this article until I'm done my bi- until I'm done reading. Is anyone waiting for you or waiting for See, the bathroom? See, that's the thing. If Man. if there's no one waiting, then I can be in there for weeks. You can be, but if you have responsibilities in life, it's not fair to hide in 
the bathroom. Unfortunately. No, no, exactly. <laughs> a man can dream. Uh, he certainly can, and he does. Dream he does. <laughs> and about doggy dates, we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to clear the smoke on cannabis and health risks, research, and reefer stories, and also why uh, <clears throat> exercise and, you know, the type, you know the type I'm talking about, is so important for men. I do hope people have put the children to bed. And why <laughs> cutting down on sugar, we've Halloween this week, I have an, the most awesome ghost hanging in front of my house that has just brought me so much joy for like the it, last week. Is it, is it a real ghost? It's on Insta. Have you seen it? I have not. I don't even follow you on, I didn't even realize you had an Instagram account. Oh my gosh, I am on Instagram. Feel free to follow me. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to have to do that once I shut my mic off here. Please do, please do. And it's the best ghost. It lights up, makes all the spooky noises. It's and and in the wind, it's uh, it's amazing. And and the the video on Instagram doesn't do it justice. With with Halloween coming up, I have to ask you this question. Are you that house that gives away apples? Oh, are you kidding? Do I look like the apple giving away type of you house? You are a health professional. I know, but here's the deal. I bought the box. You know, I wanted to get prepared. This was such a lie. I told to myself I wanted to get prepared for Halloween, and I bought the candy a week and a half ahead of time, 100 bars. I've eaten 40%. Oh, goodness. <laughs> not good. Not, With not like, ideal. There's 100 in here. I don't think we're going to get 100 kids. The mini ones, right? I hope you didn't eat 40 full-size chocolate bars in the past I, 10 days. I buy decent ones. Um, <laughs> I have to say, but I give I, I give four or five, six, ten. I just take whatever you want, kiddo. Wow. That's me. You're so you're a good house then. I'm a good house to come to. I'm afraid I'm gonna frighten them with my ghost. So I've had to switch them with my skeleton who's only his eyes light up. But Aww. it's fantabulous. Anyway, just just love it. Um, you know what? Got to make people smile. You got to give people a little fright as well. Smiling is good. Smiling, Smiling is, is healthy. Good. Exactly. And, and um, you know, joy is good in loving each other is good. And on this program, I do try and deliver the information with a bit of a sense of humor. But unfortunately, it is with a heavy heart that I have to say this. And it pains me to think of the violence that has gone on in the U.S. in the last few days. As I mentioned, two killed in a Kentucky grocery store shooting. But Squirrel Hill has really broken my heart. The state of affairs in the U.S. is horrific. First, we have pipe bombs sent to people that have been been openly denounced in that country by that country's president. Uh, Fortunately, none of those people were harmed, in part because they are lucky enough uh, to have nine levels of, of security to check their mail. Uh, So it was never going to get to them in the first place. But such was not the case at a private bris and prayer services in Squirrel Hill, Pennsylvania. What is typically such a happy day in a family's life, whether you're gathering at the congregation or for a a ceremony that when the baby is eight days old, um, it's a circumcision ceremony, the bris, people were struck down by violence. And you imagine praying at your house of worship, greeting your friends and family, everyone fussing over a beautiful newborn baby at a bris ceremony, hugs and love all around. Enter gun violence, death and destruction, shock and horror, unspeakable tragedy. You may or may not know this, but I am Catholic. I think I've mentioned that a few times. I'm Irish Catholic. I was brought up on the East Coast of the U.S. And I grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. We had three temples in my town, Temple near Tamid, Temple Beth Shalom, Temple Beth El. And most of my friends, I went to parochial school, but most of my friends went to Hebrew school after school. And we were so close, they invited me to come along. And I loved it, and I learned so much. But mostly I loved my Jewish friends and neighbors and my colleagues, and they have all been lifelong friends. 
And one thing I remembered from Hebrew school, from this Irish Catholic girl, so many years ago was this. Those who destroy one life destroy an entire world. And that is from the Talmud lesson in Sanhedrin 4-5. And today I pray for 11 worlds lost. To my Jewish friends, colleagues, and listeners, you are in my thoughts and prayers and will always remain in my heart. You've always been the most peaceful, loving, kind, generous community, community-oriented, and the most intelligent people I have likely met in my life. Today, well, this weekend has been such a sad time, and it takes a long time to absorb this. Um, so I'm, my heart goes out to you. I, I do not condone violence. I'm a peace-loving person. And uh, so anyway... Times are tough in the world. Today, we're going to try to lift this conversation up a little bit, and we're going to talk about telehealth and monitoring vital signs in your home, because I have a lot of questions about that. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for listening to me. Uh, you can give us a call if you want to talk to me or the fine doctor that I have in the studio, Dr. John Weisler. The number to call is 1-877-399-9898, 1-877-399-9898. You can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Dr. John Weisler is a cardiologist, and he is also a cardiologist not only to numbers of patients, probably in the millions, but also to some of the sports teams. Now, I'm going to ask him about the Red Sox, who are in the uh, World Series tonight. And I think it's, it's uh, it was last I checked, it was four to one. Dr. Weisler, thanks for coming in the studio. Yeah, I think it's I think it's five to one is what I saw bottom oh, nine. It's over so now, like, actually. Uh, it's actually over. over now. We've wow. got the latest. So there we go. The we go. Boston Red Sox won the World Series. And you heard it here first. <laughs> Sorry if I spoiled that for anybody listening, I'm, trying to avoid it. Oh, totally. I totally forgot about that. Oh, come on. <laughs> we are yep. in Western Canada. No. <laughs> Anyway, um, so that's great. It's all, it's always exciting. You know, you get that burging feeling that, you know, like you're part of the crowd. Anyway, Dr. Weisler, thanks so much for coming into the studio to discuss the role of telemedicine in monitoring blood pressure. And I have to say, this is something that I'm a little bit confused about. Um, I, I utilize telemedicine in my clinical practice. I, I use a program called VC, so video, but we're basically talking. I'm talking with the client. But I'm always curious about um, hypertension or taking blood pressure monitoring a patient's vital signs. I think with the way hospitals are going and, and with recidivism rates the way they are, people returning after surgery and that kind of thing, we're going to be having to do more care in the homes. And hypertension and heart rates and those types of things. So my question is, how is telemedicine utilized in your practice? Well, thanks, Marina, and thanks for having me on tonight. I think um, telemedicine is a very exciting area of medical practice that offers a lot of promise. Uh, implementing it and making it useful and having it work well requires a lot of thought and uh, sort of fine-tuning. So I think I'm kind of like you. I use um, telemedicine in my practice, but it's mostly sort of a video conferencing type of type of um, service for patients that live outside of uh, the area near where I work. So rural patients, patients from remote locations. And I have two different services that I can use for patients to see me sort of like a webcam, but a high, high definition. And it's, you know, um, a big issue is security. So 
it's carefully encrypted so your medical information is all secure. And I, I think that's one definition of telemedicine. And then you can go a step further, even for local patients, uh, and, and, and hypertension is one example, where you can offer the patient different monitoring um, you know, units that, that can uh, wirelessly monitor different vital signs that you'd like to see and send that to your physician or nurse or nurse practitioner and have it assessed. So um, one one is, is hypertension. There's a number of different um, hypertension um, blood pressure monitors that you know have some sort of wireless capability. And for the most part, they're designed to be there for the patient. So they sync to the patient's phone. So you can put this monitor on it, take some blood pressure readings. The patient has a record on their phone. They bring it in and, sell, and, and show the doctor. And you know there's the odd patient and the odd doctor that will take email. You can email your readings to the doctor. Um, this, this, uh, there was one pilot project that uh, we were discussing earlier where there, there's actually a team of nurses that can monitor patients. So the patient has a um, blood pressure monitoring device that transmits via the internet, so it's wireless, transmits to the nurse who then gets a record of the reading. So it, it allows uh, nurses and, and other healthcare staff to keep tra- track of their patients' vitals remotely. And so who purchases that device? How, how does that so work? It, it depends on the model. I mean, mostly, and we're not doing that yet where I work. Um, there's a plan um, for our, our new hospital that's being built. This is Lionsgate in North Vancouver, where they're, they're actually going to try and help people get out of hospital sooner. There's a whole... Um, dedicated space that's going to be built for telehealth services. Uh, and I believe the patients will be offered devices at the time of discharge that they're then responsible for returning. So right now, it's predominantly the patient. And, you know, you can buy them from London Drugs and other sort of reputable drugstores and, and, and pharmacies and so forth. And then in a future scenario, if it's a coordinated plan of discharge, sometimes it will be provided for patients. Okay, very interesting. Because because hypertension is the leading cause of heart disease and stroke. And that has escalated to alarming rates. And in fact, the American Cardiology, American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association has have has published new hypertension guidelines in uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have as, as much of a tolerance for those higher levels anymore. And and you know the 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 number the targets that we're asked to aim for the numbers where we want to have patients blood pressure seems to always get stricter or lower all the time and we have good trial evidence um, which the American guidelines and ours in Canada as well are, are based on uh, where they where we aim for now you know, the ideal blood pressure is 120 over 80. Um, when you had me on the show before, I used to say 140 over 90 was sort of okay, and we didn't want to add on more medications. We now have good evidence that sort of that answer is outdated. And, you know, for select groups of patients, they do best to really have their blood pressure carefully controlled, get it right down to 120 over 80 or, you know, pretty close to it. Uh, and and so out of hospital um, and out of office, blood pressure monitoring becomes more and more helpful. And monitoring outside of the doctor's office uh, is more accurate. It's, and it's been very well validated. It has certainly. And um, so this way, if somebody is having their blood pressure monitor in, monitored in their home and it's either being emailed to their doctor or somehow they're receiving it wirelessly um, the, and it's starting to creep up, that may be a time to commence a nutritional plan, mm-hmm. exercise plan, and so that to avoid patients from going on medications, yep. because we love, we know how much patients love to go on medications, and yeah. antihypertensives have saved so many people's lives. Yep, uh, absolutely. I think um, you know, uh, diet and lifestyle are always the first line things to try and do well before you. And and the, the medications for blood pressure control, there's several different classes. They're generally very safe and they do work very well. But it's always better if you have room to increase your exercise to do that first. If you can 
can reduce your alcohol intake or stop smoking or uh, reduce your salt intake in your diet. That's always, and, and you can do that and it works, that's always a better way to go because it has so many other benefits, you know, outside of just blood pressure control. And these things are important for people, and maybe in particular men, correct me if I'm wrong, to start doing in their 20s and 30s, um, the alcohol consumption, the salt consumption. Um, you know, is that uh, beneficial for people to start because the damage to the blood vessels can occur early on? Exactly. I think, um, you know, it's important for both genders. You know, women tend to get heart disease a little bit later in life than men, but they certainly do get it. And, um, you know, the the uh, the effect of having um, one poorly controlled risk factor, you know, when you a lot of times if you see your doctor, um, you know, you go in and you're 20 years old or something and your blood pressure is a bit high, they say, well, you're young, don't worry about it. That's based on something called the Framingham Risk Calculator, which doctors use to estimate your risk of cardiac disease. And that does have some uses. It's well validated and, and it can be very helpful, but it focuses on a 10-year um, time frame. And most people, even if their blood pressure is poorly controlled in their 20s, they won't develop cardiac disease yet. You can, but it's unlikely. But over the rest of your life, so your 40s and 50s, having poor control in the 20s makes your risk of having um, heart disease later in life much, much higher. So if you have one poorly controlled risk factor in your 20s, that gives you between a 40 and 50% chance of developing heart disease in your 40s and 50s. So, you know, the early damage leads to consequences later in life. And and I was just thinking that men ate a bit more and men had a more mm-hmm. of a tendency. I could be Often. wrong. I could be a sexist yep. comment that men take more salt in or alcohol. I, think <laughs> I could be wrong. but I would say it's maybe a stereotype, be, but with some truth to it as well. You know, yes. there's, there's elements of that that are true for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're going to stay in the studio and we're going to talk a little bit further um, about uh, some certain type of exercise that men can do that might help them to reduce their risk of heart attack uh, a little bit later. And uh, especially if you've been naughty in your 20s and you've been consuming all of that salt, not to mention smoking or chewing tobacco or, or even cannabis. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you want to give me a call about any of the subjects we're talking about tonight, the number to call is 1-877-399-9898. You can always email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Uh, as you may or may not know, I'm a registered nurse. I have a clinical practice in sexual health. And and uh, as I, one of my patients, I often say, who referred you to me? Or how did you hear about me? Or And, um, and so <laughs> one of them said, well, I Googled sexless marriage and your name came up. <laughs> you got to laugh at that. <laughs> so I do a lot of work in the sexless marriage. I have a lot of experience in sexless marriage, which is why I was very interested in this particular research study. And I I've asked Dr. John Weisler, a cardiologist, uh, to just regular old you and me, and also to sports teams in Canada. Um, I've asked him to remain in the studio to help me figure this out about um, some of the benefits of sex on your heart. Thanks so much for staying in the studio, Dr. Weisler. Thank you for having me. Yes, yeah, so I'm always touting have sex, have some more sex. What do you mean it's been how many years since you've had sex? And then I say, well, what made you tolerate that? What is it about you that you've put up with that? So, I mean, anyhow, I have, um, I've addressed the subject from every angle there is, every position, shall I say. Uh, but this is an interesting study that uh, 
we, as we, we already knew that sex had stress-relieving properties, uh, you can actually, if you have sex on one day, you're going to feel much less stressed the next day. It can actually increase your meaning in life or your sense of meaning in life and, and your mood. Um, but beyond the psychological benefits, there is some research that suggests that having frequent sex, that's what I have the problem with, is that frequent sex, their definition of frequent sex, might also have benefits for your heart health. So That's right. It's a, it's a, it's a good way. Way to try and improve your heart health for sure, you know, or at least it seems to be. So yeah, this <laughs> doesn't is, seem like it's uh, yeah, too much it's, convincing it's, it's, for you, no, Doctor Weisler. Pretty, pretty straightforward. <laughs> I, I don't know that a lot of people would have a problem with these findings, but this was, it was an interesting study. You know, it was um, it was it was done in men. So hopefully and presumably those results would be generalizable to women as well. But it was done in um, 1,100 men, uh, ages 40 to 70, uh, who didn't have any established uh, heart disease, and they were looking for the researchers were looking for uh, different factors that would predict the risk of heart disease. And so they found the usual culprits, you know, um, diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol, all quite predictive, which we kind of already knew, smoking status, and then erectile dysfunction, um, which we've discussed before, you know, that the small... um, arteries of the penis are very sensitive to damage, so erectile dysfunction can be an early sign of cardiovascular disease. So that was found as a predictor of heart disease. But then even once you accounted for that and you took erectile dysfunction out of the equation, um, the frequency of sex predicted your heart health in later years. So uh, the study showed that if you had... um, infrequent sex, which they defined as once a month or less, comparing that to men who had sex two to three times a week, which were more frequent sex, um, the men with more frequent sex had about a 45% lower risk of developing heart disease over a five-year period. So it's a, it's a interesting and kind of, it's an association finding, it's a, but it's a, it's a pretty powerful, you know, association, you know, between the, between, the two, between the two subjects. It certainly is. So if you want your man not to end up in the hospital with a heart attack, it, you got to have sex one, two to three times a one week. One way to help him out. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and typically couples have, depending on where they are in their, in their relationship, in their life, what's going on, they have it, you know, one to two times. It's actually about once a week, so it's mm-hmm. a little bit more than, than um, you know, 52 times a year. It's about 56 times a year or something like that. So this study is suggesting, and and they're not exactly sure why. Mm-hmm. What, what do you what do you think the reason aside from the you know the 37 calories that you burn? It's yeah, always overrated I mean, I mean, how many calories yep. you burn. It's but, there's 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 a whole yeah. bunch of different. Um, you know, explanations that have been proposed for this finding. So one of them is the caloric count. And, and also um, just, you know, it's, it's a form of aerobic exercise. And I think men in particular, again, we're stereotyping, but men in particular want to think they had a really good workout, whereas data would show it's a fairly <laughs> it's modest. It's two minutes, yeah, Dr. Fairly, Beisler, two yeah, minutes. It's a fairly no. <laughs> modest activity. You can walk up a flight of stairs. You can, you know, it's, 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 it's actually <laughs> fairly <laughs> modest, but men, men always like to say it's more. But there, there's the aerobic component. Then there's also uh, things like relaxation, stress relief, um, with a partner, a stable partner, it's like a, it's an emotional type of bonding. All of those have been shown in other studies to be protective from the risk of heart disease. So there's a number of different factors sort of beyond the direct uh, physical exercise. Uh, another interesting finding that I read about as well was that um, regular, freak, like more frequent sex, as, as in this study, is associated with lower levels of something in our blood called homocysteine. Homocysteine by some is believed to actually injure the heart and be damaging. And, uh, you know, we, we tried to treat homocysteine as cardiologists a few years ago, it was proven ineffective, but then some people still think it's a risk marker. So several different explanations. Interesting. And could it be that healthier people, and again, yeah. I don't want to judge, healthier people have more sex? Yep. So that's another potential um, 
confound to our reason as well. So if you feel better, you feel healthier, you have more energy, you have a higher libido, you're more likely to, to have sex and, and to enjoy it. And, and, and probably relationship issues, dealing with relationship issues as well is mm-hmm. probably pretty critical in terms of intimacy in a relationship. I, I think so. And, and we know that all of these th- things sort of link together. So if you have an unhappy relationship, if you are miserable, or if you're even, you know, frankly depressed, you're going to be less likely to have sex. You also have worse um, outcomes in the long run for your heart health. You're less likely to take care of your heart, you know, make good food choices, exercise regularly. Exactly. So you might eat carbs or 40 mini yeah. candy bars at Halloween. Or smoke. Yeah, they, or, all, they all cluster together. True yeah. enough, or drink. Yep, and, exactly. and, you know, sometimes people have unresolved conflict in a relationship and they would rather be right than get along, yeah. you know, and, and so they, they don't give it up. You know, they will, you know, they're, they would much prefer to be right in the argument as opposed to agreeing to disagree or, you know, having a little bit more understanding or just being a little bit more amenable to moving on. Yep, I think it's. I think it's. I think you're absolutely right. It's important to resolve things well. So if you have this sort of ongoing or lingering conflict, you know, less likely to have sex. You're gonna have a higher stress level as well. And and stress. You know, even though we don't really understand the best way to reduce stress, although you could certainly say sex is a good way. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but stress in in some form is linked to heart disease as well. It's one of the big risk factors for sure. Exactly. And although the study was done in men, I do think it would be beneficial to be done in women. Now, there's this uh, idea, this urban myth that uh, only women experience low sexual desire, but that happens to men as well. Mm, Depression, testosterone levels, alcohol, substance use and abuse. But it would be interesting to do the same research in women. Uh, That's another one of my areas of expertise is low sexual desire. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. I'll get a patient who'll come in and say, you know, well, I looked up low sexual desire and there you were. Um, So it's it's also, you know, I think it's really important uh, to outline the benefits of sex for women as well because when women do engage we say they don't feel like having sex but then they have responsive desire where they do engage in sex even though they don't want to and then they enjoy it and they think why didn't i do that before mm-hmm. dr weisler thank you so much for coming into the studio tonight thanks so much for all of your great work and uh, if people want to get in touch with you how would they do that um, best way would be through my website. There's a little contact section. So the website address is jvcardio, so jvcardio.com. Excellent. jvcardio.com for all your heart health answers and, and a little bit about your sex life too. So two to three times a week, that's the recommendation. Um, it's even better than that little sexless marriage, which is defined as sex less than 10 times a year. So if you're having sex less than 10 times a year, your heart is going to suffer. And that pains me as well. Anyway, thanks so much again, Dr. Weisler. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Up next, The Work Spouse. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me. It is always my pleasure to be with you. Joining me on the line is Dr. Jyoti Samra. She's a clinical psychologist and the founder of My Workplace Health. She's a workplace health and safety expert, and I'm delighted to have her here because I've had my own issue, well, I should say issues, in the workplaces in my career. Dr. Samra, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, good evening, Maureen. A pleasure to be here, and and many of us can kind of relate to that feeling of having stressful and in some cases kind of bad experiences in in the work environment. Yeah, and it's tough, and it can really affect your mental health. But tonight, we're going to be talking about the work spouse also called the work wife sometimes, 
uh, or the work husband. Uh, people talk about this in a jovial fashion. Often they'll introduce somebody as their work wife or their work husband. Tell me, what is a work spouse? Yeah, so a work spouse is someone that you have a really close relationship in the work environment and that is of the gender that you would be romantically attracted to. And this is an important kind of uh, distinction because we often kind of loosely or colloquially use that term kind of work-wife and often it may be kind of, you know, just this, the a sex that you're not attracted to. So if, if um, as soon as we're talking about a kind of work spouse, we're talking about someone where there's a close bond, but there's also the potential for romance. Um, oh. And that's what makes it a little bit complicated. And, and so there's a lot of research that looks at this construct of kind of the best friend at work, but we're now starting to pay attention specifically to situations where there could be the the romantic kind of element that interjects there. And I often say to people in my clinical practice, especially if they've come in because of infidelity issues, and, and women will often say, well, I found him texting her or sexting with her, uh, but at least they haven't had sex. They haven't been physical. But, you know, according to some research, it is far more dangerous to have an emotional affair or to be micro-cheating using social media, going on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, uh, on LinkedIn, um, than it is to have a physical affair. Because at, on some level we can say, well, the physical affair was about the sex. But otherwise you're getting more intimate, you're getting closer with them, especially if you're telling the troubles that you're having in your marriage uh, to your work spouse. So, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we think much like romantic partners, uh, your a work husband or a work wife is going to be someone that you start to kind of confide in and, and trust. And, and this certainly can be a very helpful, um, solid, protective relationship in a workplace, right? To the extent that we know work environments are stressful. We know our social bonds matter tremendously. And we know when we have good, strong bonds in the work environment, that can help us keep keep us happier and, and more engaged and productive at work. But then there's that slippery slope of the emotional connection. And, and absolutely, just as you kind of underscored, I mean, sex is just sex. That's an act. And as soon as we're getting into kind of emotional connection where there's sharing of and we can fill in the blanks, right? Trouble at home, your dreams and wishes, the things that you're wanting, it can start to create this kind of intimacy, um, in many cases, a false intimacy, right? And in the sense that this person isn't, you're not going home with them. You're not seeing the kind of good, bad, and ugly of them all of the time. You're just seeing them in a very kind of constrained situation. Um, and we know, given that there a high percentage of people are meeting uh, romantic partners in the workplace, right? And so we know that about 20% of people will say they've met their significant other in the workplace, and the numbers are even higher if we're looking at kind of just dating and affairs. And so this is really something that I think we need to be very attentive to and, and really be thoughtful of the kind of parameters and boundaries that we're establishing with our work spouses. And so who would be at greater risk of delving into those deep, dark waters um, yeah. with a work spouse? So what are the kinds of things in your relationship or your marriage that you want to take care of, that you want to pay attention to, to prevent you from, you know, uh, an indiscretion? Well, one needs to pay attention and have awareness of just, you know, feelings and thoughts. And as, as simple as that may sound, it's often kind of an intuitive or a gut feeling, right? And you're starting to have this feeling of, you know, hopefully most of us want to feel, you know, excited or at least kind of reasonably looking forward to going into work on any given day. 
Um, but if you're finding that that's turning more into, you know, a crush feeling, so feeling like you're anticipating, feeling like you are wanting to posture or dress in a different way, that you're going out of your way to connect with this work spouse, as soon as we start to see kind of behaviors or shifts in thinking and approach that are like that, that's a bit of a red flag. And and when does that come? I mean, really kind of two main situations. One is situations where, I mean, there truly is trouble at home. So a disconnect, lack of um, you know, sexual intimacy, lack of communication, right? We know those those areas are kind of the most significant when couples are going through significant milestones and changes, right? Birth of a baby, death, significant other changes at home that often creates a more stressful personal environment. And then our work relationships can kind of seem like this perfect utopia, Um, And the second situation would be situations where individuals, for whatever kind of combination of personal reasons, have a high level of the kind of insecurity and and require kind of external validation from others. So reinforcement and validation, and that can start to lead into a slippery slope as well. And so what happens once uh, you have actually swum in the waters with your work spouse? Um, What if you have found a, a, you know, have realized I have feelings for this person or at least sexual feelings and um, you know maybe there was some drinking involved and boom you ne- next thing you know you find you're in bed together with your work spouse where do two uh, yeah. people go from there yeah I mean one is hit the brakes as fast as you can I mean that is rarely if ever a good outcome right and, and sure people can cite you know the isolated example of a situation that kind of turned into a happily ever after but that is the, the far exception rather than the rule. Um, and there's a few layers. I mean, one is when kind of these affairs are starting, often what happens is very easy for people to sweep the actual real issues in their primary relationship under the, under the carpet, right? So then you kind of you go through the motions at home, you're ignoring and avoiding a very common tendency for most people when they're dealing with kind of marital stress or conflict. And then it's easy to kind of be out of sight, out of mind, and kind of live almost like parallel lives and really take no action when it comes to what the kind of root cause is. Um, And secondarily, I mean, what's different about having an affair with somebody that's at work, you know, I mean, specifically the work spouse, because I think that's different than just somebody at work. So that this is somebody that your wife or husband may know, right? Absolutely. They may have met them. You know, a long relationship, often they're, you know, many will say, you know, kind of all of our spouses know each other, kind of real spouses, right? Kind of romantic partners at home as well as work spouses. And it can get into very dangerous territory. Um, And it's to put the brakes on, to have some self-awareness and to be very mindful of clear boundaries. Um, And, you know, if there is often that kind of office party or office event where there's alcohol is is the most common kind of situation where kind of initial um, crossing of boundaries can start to occur and having candid conversations. So being able to, one, do some self-reflection about what's the what and why. Why did this happen for yourself personally? It's rarely about the work spouse themselves. It's Mm -hmm. about your own issue and your own relationship. To be able to, when and to the degree that's appropriate, be able to speak about this with your primary home partner um, and be able to be very candid and transparent with the about the issues. Out. Do you um, talk about the issues with your um, partner or do you talk no, about the, the, my one, the one rule is your work spouse. Do not speak about your romantic relationship with your work spouse. No, no. That what, is, what if you've had a relationship with your work spouse 
and then you realize you put the brakes on you realize oh my goodness you know do you continue your working relationship with your work spouse and or do you tell your real spouse uh that that you had this one indiscretion yeah i mean there's lots of factors right and that's there's no easy answer there but often the reality of workplaces is you don't have any other option but to be continuing to work, right? Unless you leave your job or are in a position where you can make a shift. The reality is often people are, you know, especially if they're at a position that they like or love and have been there for a long time, you may have very few degrees of freedom in terms of deciding whether you'll be um, able to kind of extricate yourself from that work spouse, but certainly being able to express very clearly, here are the boundaries, this is stopping, it's not crossing here, and then limiting the conversation. And, And the easy rule is limit your conversation um, to work-related things only. Um, and secondly, imagine that your real partner is sitting in that room. Would you still have that same conversation, yes or no? And often people can very quickly um, be able to answer that question in the affirmative or negative, right? And so as soon as we're getting into work on a Monday morning and venting about you know, the difficulties we had over the weekend, uh, my suggestion there is set some firm rules and just don't do that because that opens up this slippery slope um, for Again, this intimacy that can can feel confusing. That's right. And that's at the the highest, um, the most common time for the risk of an extramarital affair or seeing an escort is Monday morning around coffee time. Anyway, so the weekends are tough, apparently. (laughs) Maybe they should come and see me first about their... (laughs) Is that actually data? (laughs) Yes, yes. There is some data around that. Yes. (laughs) I'll send you the article. Uh, Yeah. So the weekends are important. They are important times to spend with your partner and to be intimate uh, perhaps they should come and see me to deal with their marital issues and they may not get into all of these <laughs> uh, dark waters. Thank you so much, well, Dr. So, oh, an ounce of prevention. An ounce of prevention goes a very long way. It sure so does. It words. sure does. But I'd love to continue this conversation. Dr. Joe T. Samra, clinical psychologist, founder of My Workplace Health, workplace health and safety expert. Thank you so much. It's a great conversation. We'll have you back again. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.